Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And this is a conversation that I know people have been asking for across the state of Nebraska as we're going to spend some time today talking about some of the Computer Science and Technology Act guidance that came out recently. And so I'm incredibly grateful to have Katie Graham, who's the State Director for Career and Tech Ed, uh, John Scretta, who's Administrator at ESU6, and Guy Trainin, who's a Professor of Ed at UNL, uh, to join us today for this important dialogue so that we can share out uh, not only the backstory, uh, but also some specifics about the guidance. Uh, we're going to really cover some ground with some of the maybe foreseen and unforeseen consequences of some of the legislation and uh, answer the questions that you might be as the listener having as you enter into this conversation. And so thanks to everyone that's here. And we're going to kick things off with Katie sharing a little bit about that guidance, which was work that you were spent quite some time on. Yeah, thanks so much, Andrew. I'm delighted to be here today and excited to have the opportunity to chat with John and Guy about such an important topic. This guidance that we recently released based on the law that was passed last year, Legislative Bill 1112, which is now known as the Computer Science and Technology Act. We worked really hard over the months between the guidance was released and when the law was passed to make sure we were able to think through all of those questions schools and districts might have and try to respond and provide as much guidance and support so everyone was prepared for full implementation. That not only includes the graduation requirement, which has been a hot topic, of course, which is included in the law, but the law also talks about different instructional opportunities that should be provided at the elementary and middle school level with respect to computer science and technology. So the guidance that we have recently released includes mainly an FAQ. A lot of those questions we reached out and tried to think through that might come up. Things like how is computer science and technology defined? What's the timeline? You know, when are districts and schools required to have these courses and graduation requirements enacted? Who can teach these courses? Things like that. A couple different questions about flexibilities, like could the graduation requirement be offered in middle school, for instance, and what would districts need to do to work through the process to allow that to happen. So lots of different opportunities, lots of resources. I know Guy and John are going to talk about the backstory, and then we're going to get into some things on the horizon. But just again, thanks for this opportunity. And we're always here to figure out ways to best support districts and can't do it without great partners like at the university and the ESU. So thanks again, Andrew. Hey, no problem. And thanks for all your hard work and great teaser there, by the way, of all the things that we are going to talk about. So if you want any of those questions answered, you just keep listening right in. So uh, uh, with that backstory, then we are going to pivot to John Scretta. John, will you tell us a little bit about yeah the history of this legislative bill and really where it then led to us needing to bring some guidance around that? Yeah, sure thing, Andrew. First of all, really appreciate Katie's opening comments around the guidance that's been released by the department. I think that's a fundamentally important document for informing our efforts going forward and details out some of the things that at an ESU level, we want to ensure all of our school districts are tracking, that they're paying attention to, so that we can support not just minimal compliance with the law, but actually really fulfilling the legislative intent of it. And I want to talk about that a little bit, just to give you some backstory on the bill um, that became law that is now the Computer Science and Technology Act. It was proposed and had hearing in February of the last legislative session. 
And it was sponsored by Senator McKinney, one of our Omaha area senators who has a keen interest in one of the major objectives of the bill, which is um, he was approached by a group of stakeholders in basically the Nebraska chamber and others that are concerned about as employers facing shortages of workforce for tech jobs and essentially saying, look, we need to declare that we're in a crisis situation here. We've got to do more. And Nebraska has done an incredible job of having some flourishing entrepreneurial initiatives with companies like Huddle and many others that are tech-centric businesses. And uh, the point of the proposal from Senator McKinney and other supporters was, hey, there's jobs out there that are going unfilled right now, and we don't want these incredibly successful businesses to leave Nebraska because of workforce shortages. And these are incredibly rewarding, fulfilling careers to pursue. Now, that said, I would be remiss if I did not note that there were significant voices in the educational community up front who were adamantly opposed to LB 1112, okay? And that was basically from the perspective of uh, Nebraska Association of School Boards was one of those entities that showed up formally on the record against LB 1112 at hearing, and NERCSA also did, um, and those are our friends in the Nebraska Rural Community Schools Association. The reasons for that were basically, and I'm going to be a little bit reductive here, but basically respect local control, so don't dictate curricular requirements. And then the other reason from rural schools perspective was, gosh, we don't have resources here to meet those kind of additional mandates. So uh, we would have challenges with staffing it. Uh, we would have challenges with providing the content and curriculum to do so. Fortunately, what we've found since and what we've learned since as uh, the bill was debated and then eventually passed into law is that there are ample resources available out there. And, and now it's our role to try to equip schools with those. As an ESU, um, here at ESU 6, we want to do everything we can to support the schools within our region in meeting those requirements. So that's a little bit of backstory on the bill. And, uh, you know, like I said, it didn't sail through the unicameral with unanimous support. But I think on final reading, it was like 33-11 with some present and not voting and some excused. And those senators who opposed it were basically a handful of rural senators like Breezy, Erdman, Friesenbrandt. And they were ones who were listening to their local rural schools that were saying, hey, we're just going to be really strained to be able to comply with this. Not that we're opposed to computer science and technology, because we're all for that. But you're going to have to help us figure out the resources side of it to get it done. And, and that's something that Guy and others uh, can talk about. Yeah. And I want to add that uh, there are some new companies like Huddle and others that are really innovative in that space and need a lot of workers. But that also goes to the more traditional companies that were always housed in Nebraska. We're talking about agriculture that is becoming more and more high techy as time goes on. We're talking about uh, the fintech companies. So the transition of the industries around financial services and especially insurance to be primarily a technology company. Anybody who's applied to get money back from one of these companies knows that you use apps, you use websites, and all of that requires a lot of upkeep. And those are the kind of jobs we want to keep here. 
And transportation is the last leg of these. So these are traditional companies that have been here for a long time. We don't want them to leave because they don't have the workforce and they start to uh, move more and more jobs until one day they're just not here anymore. So Yeah, you know, Guy, I, I absolutely just want to reinforce that point and the importance of it, which is kind of the omnipresence of computer technology. It affects every aspect of our daily lives. So the workforce implications are beyond just some of the few companies that we've mentioned that are renowned for being innovative in that space. It's, uh, it's everywhere. Yeah, and, and the reports from our departments of computer science and this is the job side of things. This is not the only reason to do computer science, but all of our graduates in Nebraska do not answer the annual additional need for jobs. So we are running behind. We can, of course, recruit from other places, and some people are moving to Nebraska, but that is falling way short of answering that need. Well, I appreciate uh, both of you rounding out there for us, uh, backstory, uh, the why, and really the the issue that this uh, effort is trying to address. And, you know, it makes me think if someone is maybe new to this conversation, or they hear that, and they would want to know a little bit more about, so tell me what that looks like in schools, <laughs> right? So let's talk, uh, Katie, if you would, for a minute, what is computer science? And technology. I mean, can we just kind of whittle it down to that and then build out an understanding of, of the work that we're going to get into here? You bet. So great question and very broad question. Um, and this, though, is one of those pieces we tried to also define and is included in the guidance just to make sure everyone is starting at the same baseline. So broadly speaking, computer science is the study of computing systems and algorithmic processes, including their principles and their hardware and their software and their applications programming and network and data, all related to their impact on society. Computer science builds on computer literacy and educational technology and digital citizenship and informational technology. So this bill, Computer Science and Technology, really kind of covers that whole spectrum of all of the different pieces that build onto and then enable students to work through and develop computer science skills. So I say this in jest, but so if keyboarding and being able to check my grades online doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about something a lot loftier than that. <laughs> Probably when we're talking about computer science, it would be a little loftier than that, yeah. We're, we're talking, Andrew, about leveling up the baseline here, baby, across the state of Nebraska. <laughs> So yes. <laughs> One way I've heard it described before, and this might come from code.org, so Guy, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's computer science is really getting computers to do what you want them to do. It's it's really having them um, work through those and develop those processes to have that great impact on society. So Guy was mentioning all the different ways some of our existing businesses and workforce partners need computer scientists and need folks to be able to do the programming and to be able to create those algorithms and to, to create those new efficiencies to allow processes and tech to work, not necessarily just get on, be able to check your email and have the computer as a tool, but really using that computer to drive the work that we're all trying to accomplish. And to add to that, I'd like to say that there's a set of skills that lead to specific jobs, but most jobs now are becoming more and more adjacent computer science. You've got to make some decisions. You've got to 
play around with things that are connected to coding, which is one aspect, not all aspects of computer science, but really learning computer science provides you with the skills to be involved in society because we're now talking about AI and algorithms and all of these decision-making that really we all have to be involved in as citizens and really think about what do we want? Data privacy, I mean, Computers and computer cyber uh, security is incredibly important for all school districts. Last year, there were school districts, or maybe this year, but there were school districts that actually closed down because they were hacked and they were not able to get access to any of their data. And so they had to close down. They, they were actually, there was a, a request for some money to whoever hacked into them and all kinds of stories around that. This is a need that transcends any specific industry. We're all living in that world where we need to have a little bit better understanding of all of these aspects and computer science opens that door. And the second aspect to this, because people say, you know, the kids who want to go there are already going there, which is true. The problem is that when we look at the industry profile, we know that not all kids have access. And even if they do, not all kids choose to go in that direction, even before they know what it's about. So what we're trying to do is create this new baseline, as John said, so they can actually make choices about their own futures. And that door is available to them. It doesn't mean everybody's going to walk through that door and become a computer programmer for Hadle. And I don't think that's the goal. But we do want to make sure that everybody's got the option. And going back to rural districts, we know that less than half of our rural districts have any kind of offering around computer science, which is a challenge because it's an opportunity that kids do not have. And then it's not on their radar as part of the decision-making. And that's just not equitable. Yep. So if I could, if I could pair a couple things here to expand upon some of what Guy was just describing that I think is so important is if you look at code.org and the role that code.org has as I think probably the largest international nonprofit supporting computer science and technology education today, um, they've done a brilliant job of aggregating and analyzing some data about the state of computer science education. And, you know, if you look at high schools right now across the United States, I think it was barely a tick over half of the high schools even offering a foundational course in computer science. And that the numbers in terms of students actually accessing and taking those courses across most of the states studied, it was, you know, only a little under 5% of high school students enrolled in those foundational computer science courses. So we have a real misalignment that we need to address. And we also have an opportunity gap that this law can help us close in Nebraska. And that's a good thing. And what I want to pair that with is an understanding that in terms of compliance, because of the careful reading of the letter of the law and the hard work that Katie and the CTE team have done on behalf of schools, the interpretation and the guidance of that includes that a computer science and tech course can be offered at the middle level for high school credit. Yes, it has to be uh, taught as a standalone class to meet the high school credit requirements. However, that course can be taught and taken virtually. So there's, there's abundant opportunities here to meet the requirement. And I just wanted to offer that as support to reinforce the importance of what Guy was asserting there. 
You know, and listening to John, those are a lot of the same questions that I feel like I've heard that people have. And so thanks for answering a few of those. Katie, are there other uh, details from the guidance that you'd like to emphasize as we're kind of on that topic right now of really uh, what is it that the district leadership needs to know in trying to build out these courses? Sure. Yeah. One thing John just made me think about, it's been a question we've been getting all of the time, and that really is about the middle school programming. Um, So just one note, there is flexibility in Rule 10, where a school system can adopt a policy that allows high school credit to count for middle school courses, but just be sure to review that policy. Um, Oftentimes the policies that are existing might cover like a world languages course or not specifically calling out this. So if that is an option a district is looking for, it is certainly a flexibility. Just be sure you have that policy with your local school board enacted before um, you take that approach. Great reminder, Katie. And a reminder, as people start planning those courses, you can make them locally relevant. So for example, if you are in a rural area and there are opportunities around ag technology, that's a great opportunity. And you can create a course that addresses those things that are visible locally, whether it's drone technology or uh, working with satellite technology or sensors and everything that you can do through that. There are lots of opportunities that can serve that purpose, but be locally rooted and not necessarily be general. That is at the same time, I'm saying that as somebody who also works as a regional partner with code.org and has curriculum that is available for free, that you don't need to plan, at least in the short term. But even inside that curriculum, there are opportunities to integrate those kind of experiences. Guy, you made me think too, that's a really great reminder that every local school district gets to determine which course meets their need to satisfy the requirements in the law. So the guidance that we worked to try to provide was really just to detail out those specifics to then empower the districts to make that decision. And then annually, they'll report to their board, um, as well as the department, just what they did to meet those requirements. So lots of flexibility, definitely want to make it locally relevant. I think that was a great point. Yeah, it's going to have to be a Nebraska solution all the way, and that entails a degree of local flexibility, empowering those local districts to figure out how to meet those mandates most effectively and efficiently, and that was part of what I wanted to reference here is just echoing Guy and the reference to code.org and free available curricula That is a fantastic opportunity for school districts in Nebraska to leverage those resources. And this bill that became law now is another example of something that was routinely and repeatedly described by schools as an unfunded mandate. Fortunately, there are ample low-cost or no-cost solutions being offered to districts that can help them meet those new impending requirements. You know, I also think it would be valuable when we think about infusion of computer science and technology. Andrew, I wanted to reference specifically, like when we think about the role that you've had in helping to lead at the state level and the input of the TLTE group, Teaching and Learning with Technology, and the uh, gear-funded robotics purchases. You know, a really great example of how are we working deliberately at scale across the state through ESU supports to help ensure 
that we're leveling up the baseline of computer science and technology instruction in Nebraska. I think that's a good example. And Andrew, you've been very, very closely involved with that robotics work. Yeah, I know that there's been it was around $800,000 statewide that was spent on robotics purchase that uh, came from GEARS funding in September. Uh, that those pieces are still being delivered uh, in some instances. And we're working with that company and our ESU colleagues to put together not only how-to videos for how do you turn this on and how do you operate said drone, for example, uh, but then also uh, leveraging, like you said, some of our, our TLT affiliate and some SDA members to think about where this might be able to be integrated into uh, various content areas at any and all grade levels. So those materials will be coming out uh, in the spring and we'll do a podcast actually on that topic. So stay tuned for that portion of the conversation when we get to it. And so with that too, something that kind of came to mind for me, I guess, in the midst, and, and so sorry if I'm sort of derailing to circle back to this, what, what are some like misconceptions, I guess? And, and so anything from things like, we do have a teacher that can teach this, or we already have this course available when, you know, I think about what John shared earlier that, what did you say, John, 50% of schools nationally don't have a course like this? And so if if that's the case... Uh, not necessarily as an, a way to call anyone out, but just to bring clarity around some of those things that will need to be thought through as people look to meet the requirements for this. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of different things districts must be wrestling with right now. And one of them, which is kind of how this whole podcast came to be, was this great partnership with really, really incredible resources across the state. So when I think about things to do or you know what needs to be done to meet all the requirements it's really leveraging those great partnerships we have code.org that's been mentioned several times and what the ESUs are already doing and have continued to show up uh, to commit to help with that professional learning one piece from the department's end we're hiring a computer science and technology specialist. We'll have a full-time staff person along with our existing communication information system specialist, which um, I'm sure many of you know, Jackie Garrison, who's incredible, will be alongside with her leading a lot of this work to go out and support not only districts, but work alongside our ESU partners and university and post-secondary partners to help. So I really think that's a key piece is just identifying who's going to be teaching the course, where's that course going to live, and then of course, what do we need to arm that individual with to help them be successful in teaching this incredibly important content to our learners. So I don't know, I'd, I'd welcome John or Guy to uh, weigh in as well. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to add that NU, uh, all three campuses actually got together uh, a while back, and we have each are offering opportunities to get certified. So even if teachers are not certified, they can get it as an additional endorsement. And that is fairly quickly done and they can start teaching. We are offering specific classes for teachers who will learn enough coding to be able to teach, enough coding and computer science to be able to teach without encumbering them with another undergraduate degree in computer science. That is not the goal. It is an 18-hour certificate that will allow them to do that, even if they're not. And there are teachers who are already certified, they may not feel as comfortable. And that's where professional development, including the one from code.org, will give them the tools. So if you are certified, but not sure what you're actually going to do, code.org can do that. And there are other opportunities. And I'm sure as the state starts organizing professional development, there might be other opportunities. Right now we're here, 
we are able to do that at no extra cost to most districts and most schools. We are part of a number of uh, national networks, including uh, funding from the federal government to do this at scale. So we are happy to do that. So we're sharing the curriculum and the curriculum is available for free for whoever wants to use it without any, any gateway. So any teacher, any school can immediately start using it tomorrow morning. On top of that, we have the professional development that will give the skills for those who are not as sure and those who want a refresher. And also what they get in the mix is that community of teachers who are working together and throughout the first year or two years get professional development, not just in the summer to get them going, but actually throughout the year to say, here's what's coming up in the code.org curriculum. And here's some things to think about and also be able to talk about what they struggled with. That conversation has been incredibly useful to most of the teachers we work with. And it's always good to get together because as most rural schools will tell you, even if we do have a teacher who can do this, he or she are going to be the only one in the school. So that network allows you to have those conversations and ESUs are great to be the energy around those conversations to make sure that there's ongoing support and you can ask questions, get answers, because everything is clear at the beginning of the year and then you get to a unit and you go, mm, that doesn't look as I remember it. So you have that opportunity. Yeah, Guy, that just really resonates with me. And I appreciate you giving a shout out to the role of ESUs. And when we think about rural schools in particular and our multi-district ESUs across the state of Nebraska, one of the things that comes immediately to mind is the role of ESUs in this work as collaborators and facilitators, folks who will and are eager to convene the conversation to support computer science education, our PD teams have subject matter specialists, for the most part, not computer scientists, okay? That's all right. We still have an instrumental role to partner up with organizations like code.org and to be facilitators for groups like the Computer Science Teachers Association, Nebraska Huskers chapter, and say, hey, how can we support those networks for professional learning and collegiality because as Guy just referenced, in many of our districts, those folks might be one of one. That's it. They're the only one of their kind. So uh, it's, it's our role to help bring them together and convene those broader collaborative conversations. Yeah, and I even think situationally, when we think of how the ESUs partner up districts with regards to distance learning and the opportunity that that would provide. So if you are listening in and you're, you do have a teacher who is one of one, who Maybe it keeps two thirds of their day full and uh, we could potentially share that other third of a day with another school or another district. Please reach out to your ESU distance learning coordinator as we'd love to, to start making those connections where that makes sense. And, you know, Katie, maybe I'll throw this back as a question your way then um, would be to say staffing, because I think that there are likely places where this is already a course offering but it maybe historically, because it hasn't been a graduation requirement, uh, the number of students that that teacher might have historically seen in those courses is bound to go up. So I guess my, my question is with that, how prevalent have you seen that? And what are some ways in which we maybe can encourage folks to be thinking about that ahead of time? Maybe that's just it. It's just to acknowledge that that is something that we're going to have to think about. That's a great question. Certainly something folks are going to have to wrestle with. Um, 
With the graduation requirement specifically, when you look at the timeline, that's going to impact the current year's eighth graders. So we have eighth grade students this year. So by the time they graduate, this will apply to them. I think it's hard to answer your question, I think, because schools are still trying to figure out exactly what their plan is going to be. Um, I know some districts are further ahead in terms of the number of students they're already serving with computer science based on local decisions and local school boards making it um, priority. But other districts, I think, have an opportunity to think critically about where the content lives. I, I think it was Guy or John mentioned, it doesn't necessarily have to be one of these existing courses on the books. This content can be embedded certainly as a standalone course, but it, as the law requires, but it does offer the option for it to be taught in the context of other content areas, right? So those are going to be local decisions on how the credit is actually awarded and what that looks like for students' post-secondary trajectory. So I think there's still a lot of questions that are being wrestled with locally. Once those decisions are made about what's going to be offered, I think that's when we can start helping think through the planning for serving more students. But I, I was excited to see in the law that it did include a focus on elementary and middle, because one thing, like everything we do in education, should be systemic, um, and we shouldn't have these, you know, siloed systems of my elementary students are, you know, my, I have a first grader, so he's coding robots and they're moving, uh, B-bots, I think they're called, you know, that should seamlessly transition and in, in the instruction he's provided as he progresses through elementary, middle, and then of course his graduation requirements. So I think it's going to be a, a system answer, and I do think we'll serve more students, but it's not going to be just more added to one high school class. I think it's going to be it's going to have to be a really thoughtful consideration by every district on how they want to approach computer science education to meet not only their students' needs and make sure they all have, all students have access and equity to these opportunities, but how that's going to meet their local, regional, and statewide workforce needs. I think so too, John. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Katie. That was like yeah, where I think that that's going to put to bed a lot of questions <laughs> and interpretation. Um, what have we not talked about group that we want to make space for? I want to talk about three things that we may want to consider. One is how do we entice people who are working in the industry to potentially teach either part-time or full-time? That is one of the possible solutions, which will probably work more for our larger districts and our rural districts, but there might be opportunity in rural environments as well where individuals will be retaining their regular day job in whatever technology company they're working, but they're teaching this one class that allows them to also add the local knowledge and everything else. And right now they can do it temporarily and we're working on ideas around certification. This is the work that I'm doing with Katie and with certification groups at NDE to really push that forward, to make sure that people that have worked for many years in the industry can come back and become teachers. So that's one. The second one is that in the short term, there might be, especially for logistics that have been offering these courses, it, it may be a, quite a turn. So teachers will have a lot more kids in their classrooms. And that's one thing to consider. The second thing is that it will be harder for a while to offer the more advanced classes because in the short term, they will use whatever teachers they have to teach this class that serves everybody. But again, going back to the what John was talking about is right now, despite a lot of access, so almost 80% of Nebraska students have access to computer science, only 3.6% are taking them. 
which is a quite a gap. So this is part of the, the thing we're tackling. And uh, that's going to create a short-term problem, but we think it'll resolve in the long-term as we do this in a more planful way. And the last thing is, and this is a problem that I will acknowledge, I was a special education teacher before I came to the university, so that's something always on our mind. And we have to think about how do we serve students with disabilities in the context of a graduation requirement, and how do we make sure they have access to content regardless of the disabilities they have, and how do we uh, provide materials that answer that. Uh, part of the work is done by code.org. We are in connection with a number of researchers and designers across the country who do that work, and we are going to be sharing all of that information as we go forward, because this is a critical segment. And again, these are students that deserve to know what everybody else knows and to have the opportunity to serve in that industry. Well, I tell you, I am definitely a lot smarter about this topic than I was when I sat down today. Uh, and I feel like I've been a part of a lot of conversations related to this. And so uh, I am so grateful uh, to the three of you for helping bring some clarity uh, around the guidance, some of the history with that backstory, uh, and also kind of get into really the, the present circumstances, which is to say, where are some of those opportunities uh, and challenges and how can we be proactive and thoughtful as we still have you know, the rest of this school year as we look to develop these courses uh, to become available for, like we said, for next year's eighth graders, right, Katie? That would be for the graduation requirements. So beginning in 24-25 is when elementary and middle school programming should start to take place. Excellent. And good to get those dates uh, reiterated here as we kind of bring things to a close. And so uh, I guess I'll just say this, if we had to have a parting message, is there something that you'd like to leave listeners with as we wrap up today's conversation? So just to jump in here, just from the perspective of educational service units, just want to reiterate and emphasize the role of ESUs to convene collegial conversations to promote professional learning and reassure Nebraska educators everywhere that we're here to support schools meeting these new requirements. And we will do that by partnering up with fantastic organizations like code.org and um, assisting in the provision of whatever technical guidance we receive from the departments. And we're grateful for all that. And uh, I'd like to say a few things. One is start approving the curriculum. And if you need that eighth grade option, uh, which I highly recommend. I think eighth and ninth grade are the perfect place for this introductory course, the principles course, with the other technology components and everything that the law requires. But that is the perfect placement because then if students want more advanced courses, there's still time for that. And it does not disrupt other uh, structures. So that's the first thing. The second thing is January 10th, we're opening our registration for teachers who want to participate in the code.org professional development in the summer. That's for middle school and high school students. If there's any need to do work at the elementary level, we can coordinate anytime. That's a one day workshop with some support throughout the year. Um, the middle school and high school is a week during the summer and then support throughout the year. We do our best to provide alternatives. We have web-based and in-person. I recommend the in-person, but we have web-based and I know some teachers can't get away and this is the good solution for them. So we opened that January 10th and each one of these applications does require after a teacher applies that an administrator adds their information and says, yes, this person is going to be teaching 
computer science in the next few years, and therefore they get a seat. And that's how we can use code.org and all of their wonderful donors to pay for all the costs that are involved with that. So we pay for the curriculum, we pay for their professional development and the ongoing professional development, any materials that come with that. And I think districts would be well advised if they can to also provide some kind of an incentive or support for their teachers, but we will do our best to provide everything else for free. I'll just end with, as I mentioned, we have an open position for a computer science specialist. So if all of this sounds really interesting and fascinating and sparks your passion to support educators and students across the state in computer science, please reach out. We'd love to have you join our team. Wow. Well, I got to say, I, I'm just always inspired. I'm always inspired by uh, the opportunities we have on this podcast and, and just even in the rhythms of the day-to-day to take a deep breath, pick my head up from the work that I'm doing and look around at all the amazing efforts at NDE, at the ESU level, at the university level, uh, and more on behalf of kids and learning uh, and trying to best prepare them for that work world uh, thereafter. And doing that, I love how we've like really emphasized too that that local control piece and trying to serve in their their area so uh, thank you all so much. I appreciate your 30 minutes of advocacy here, but I know that you speak from hours and <laughs> long conversations and, and tons of work uh, that went into forming that perspective to be able to share with others. And so really grateful for everyone's participation in this today. And uh, if anyone listening has questions, reach out and we'd be happy to support you and we'll look to continue this conversation as it evolves. So uh, thanks and tune in for next time. Yeah.